This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving. Amen. So turn with me, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 16. Welcome, everybody. Come on in. Have a seat. Matthew chapter 16. Now we're coming back into our red letter studies. We took kind of a we'll call it a two week break from that while we began a series of studies on the subject of wisdom. We were in Proverbs chapter one and uh, we'll be going back and forth between them. We'll be going back and forth between them, the studies in wisdom and the studies and the teachings of our Lord. But we want to jump right into where we left off in chapter 16 of Matthew. Now, and just the briefest review, and only because there's a direct relation between what happened with the Apostle Peter in verses 17 through 19, and then what happens with the Apostle Peter in verse 23. So just as a quick review, actually, let's begin in verse 16. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, this was his answer in response to Jesus's question. Jesus had first asked his disciples, the the close few that were with him in this chapter, he said, who do men say that I am? And they had given him an answer. They said, well, uh, some say that you are Elijah or Elias. Some say that you are one of the prophets and, and so on. And so then Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter stood up and said, thou art, well, he didn't stand up, but he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, to us, that's a no brainer because we are we're Christians. We identify as Christians and as with Jesus as our Lord. And that's the basic tenet of Christianity. Christ, the son of God, the promised one of Israel. And so Jesus answered him and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So that's all the review we're going to do, because now we're going to jump right over to 21 because of what happens next. Verse 21. Well, actually, verse 20. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. So it wasn't widespread knowledge yet. It wasn't widely accepted yet. There were many people that knew Jesus. They had heard him teaching, of course, since like chapter four, chapter five. They'd listened to his sermon on the Mount or they'd been present at his teachings and they'd witnessed miracles where he had healed people and restored sight and healed lepers or what have you. They'd seen miracles. They'd seen things that they had done, but they had come to their own conclusions of who this man was. And it wasn't yet time for his true identity to be revealed as the Messiah, the promised one of Israel, the Holy One of Israel. So verse 21, it continues. He says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Whoa. Whoa. That's gutsy, Peter. Oh, is that what you are now? You know better than the Lord now. Is that it? You know better than God. 
Okay, you're going to rebuke Jesus. Oh, wow. Wow, all right. Wow, okay. Let's see where that goes. Let's see how that goes. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Now there's two lessons here in this back third of chapter 16 that I want to focus on tonight. There's two lessons that I want to focus on. This first one, which is what we're beginning to stride into right now, is the lesson of when you think you know better than God. Just kind of let that sink in. When you think you know better than God. That's lesson number one. And then we'll get to the next one, which begins in verse 24 here by and by. But we need to we need to deal with this one first. We need to learn this one first. So from this time forth, uh, verse 21 began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So why did Peter take it upon himself in the following verse to rebuke Jesus and say, that's not going to happen to you? How is it that Peter, who had walked upon water with Jesus, Peter that was otherwise normally a humble man, how is it that he took it upon himself to correct his Lord? Well, let's go back to our brief review. Verse 16, verses 15 and 16. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Well, what do you think would have been Simon's natural, Simon Peter, Peter, if you will, what do you think would have been his natural reaction to being to having received a divine revelation, which is exactly what happened in verse 16. He had received the divine revelation straight from the Father. This is my Son, the Christ, the Messiah of Israel. And then being, I won't say praised, but, well, for all effective purposes, praised by the Lord for this being revealed to him. He said, blessed are you, Simon. Blessed are you. Because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. You didn't come to this conclusion through deductive reasoning and through study and all of that. You came to this, you came to this understanding by the divine revelation of God Himself, our Father who is in heaven. He said, blessed are you. And then he said a few things to Him also, which would have, uh, which could have fed into a rapidly overgrowing sense of self-importance. Let's read it. Let's read it. He says, Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And what Peter didn't get what, what, what he may, may very well have not understood in those verses was that Jesus wasn't just giving this to Peter. He was giving it to all of his disciples. Every one of them. That means you and me. That means you and me. And so, but hearing this may very well have stoked his pride 
Say, well, you're reading, you're reading too deep into the Scriptures. No, we're not. R read it. Read the whole thing. Read what had just happened there in verses 16 through, through 19 and how that could have very well lifted Simon up. Not that that's what Jesus' purpose was. It wasn't. And then in the very next few verses, Peter is suddenly feeling bold enough. Peter, who cried out to the Lord to be saved when he sank underneath the waves when he had walked out on the water, Peter that had previously had, a, had the right understanding concerning Christ, but now, now he was feeling kind of bold, wasn't he? Oh, far be it from thee, O Lord. What did he say? Far be it from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. You see, what had happened was God had revealed something to Peter in a very special way by his spirit. And Jesus called him blessed because of that. Okay, well, now Peter's like, yeah, check me out. I got a divine revelation, don't you know? I got an in on this thing. I'm feeling pretty good about this. And so now Jesus decided in verse 21, decided that he was going to, as it says right there, from that time forth. So Jesus hadn't revealed any of this yet to him concerning God's future plans and the need for being crucified and all of that. But in beginning in verse 21 of chapter 16 says, from this time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and scribes, etc., chief priests, be killed, raising in the third day. And that's when Peter steps in. Foot and mouth disease, like more than once. Peter was always good for that. Saying inappropriate things when there either needed to be something appropriate said or nothing said at all. And brothers and sisters, there's a lesson there in Peter for us. If in doubt, just don't say anything when you're in a, situ a certain situation, especially when it's, the f when it's the flesh that's rising up and wanting to give an answer against something. or it, it, if, if there's any doubt at all as to the wisdom of what this ties back into our teaching on wisdom, if there's any doubt at all as to the wisdom of something being said, should I say this, should I that, say that, should I say nothing, should I say this, this, or this, just don't say anything. As the one man said, it's better to be thought a fool than to open one's mouth and remove all doubt. That sounds harsh. Or I'm not saying that people are fools. It's an expression. It's not from the Bible. It's one I've heard many times over the years. But there's a lot of merit to that. There is a lot of merit to that. It's better to just hold one's peace. It's better to be thought. It's better to be thought a fool. Some to let people think that you're a fool than to. Go all Peter here and open your mouth and remove all doubt. You know, blah, blah, blah. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that at any time in your life? You just thought that something was the right thing to say and you just opened up that quacking mouth and threw something out there and then you had it served right back at you like at the end of a racket. Whack! And you found out how wrong or misinformed or, or how, uh, uh, how, that you had the wrong understanding on the situation. And, but then you learned and you were like, oh, ouch, Ooh, that hurts. So, but then you learned from it. And so you weren't a fool because though you might have said something that was foolish, you learned from the results and then you maybe didn't repeat that error. Or maybe you did, but then eventually you learned. So no one's a fool here tonight. Amen? Because we're learning. We're learning. So Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee, but... He turned, meaning Jesus, and said unto Peter, 
Get thee behind me, Satan. Ouch. That's what Jesus said to Peter. Peter that had just received this revelation from God that that this man that he was discipled to was in fact the Messiah of Israel. This was Peter who had walked on the water. This was Peter in Jesus' inner circle. And Jesus just says to him, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And then he says this. Then he heaps it on him even more. Thou art an offense unto me. Ouch. Jesus. I'm, I'm Peter. Uh, you just said that I'd, I'd been given keys to the kingdom and stuff like that. And, and, and whatever I bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. And it's like I got all this power and this authority that you just said you just gave to me. Yeah, not you alone. But, you, uh, but now you're telling me that I'm Satan and that I'm an offense to you? Man, I imagine that must have been very shocking. So that doesn't sound like my Jesus meek and mild. Well, it's right here in the word. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So he rebuked him. He rebuked him very sharply. And then he told him why. So was he calling him the devil? Well, now, hold on. Let's go through it. Let's take our time. We're only about halfway through. We've got the time. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. Well, what's Satan? Well, we know that Satan is what we call the devil, right? Well, that's a proper name, isn't it? Well, really, it's more like a proper title. Satan, if I remember correctly, is, is uh, that's just the anglicized shatan, satan, shatan, shaitan, also in the, in the uh, Arabic. And all that means is enemy. And that's why we call the devil Satan, because he is the enemy. He's the enemy of everything that is good. That's what he's all about. That's his orientation. And so what Jesus was saying to Peter was, get behind me, enemy. Because in that moment, Peter was. In that moment, because of the spirit that Peter had developed in the previous few verses and, and then demonstrated by presuming to take the Lord aside and rebuke Jesus and then contradict him in saying, oh, this isn't going to happen to you. You're not, that's not going to happen to you. And when, regardless of what Peter's motives were, and motives usually are very important and are taken into account. God is a judge and he weighs the heart and he understands the reasons why we do things versus the reasons why we don't do things. And so, but what Jesus saw happening in Peter was that Peter was starting to go down the wrong road there in his own mind. He was starting to get proud. He was starting to get proud because he had received divine revelation. Let me tell you something, right? We are not cracking on Peter tonight. We're not throwing stones at Peter tonight. We are not uh, browbeating him in any way because the best of men, the godliest of men have to fight that battle sometimes. Look, what are you talking about, preacher? What are you talking about? I don't think the apostles ever had to fight that battle. Really? Paul himself said that he did concerning his own revelation. 2 Corinthians 12, where he says, let's take it from verse 6. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. 
And lest I should be exalted, verse 7, lest I should be exalted above the measure, above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. What was Paul saying here in his many words was, God has revealed so many things to me through divine revelation and I'm writing all of these things down and sharing it with the churches and with various ministers and various congregations that lest I should be exalted above measure and start thinking of myself more highly than I ought. God saw fit to take steps to ensure that I would not become proud. Because that's what flesh, that's what the flesh is inclined to do when we receive something special. If you grew up with siblings, you know what this was like. You know, if you, if mom and dad gave you something and then didn't give your brother or sister the same thing, or maybe it was just something, it was your day or your time, or maybe it was just something special. Who knows? Okay. But you got something that your brother and your sister didn't get. And so that kind of it, you got that, you got that feeling of, Oh, look how special I am. I am more special than my brother. I am more special than my sister. And then you rubbed it in your brother or your sister's face because that's what siblings do when they're little, right? It, that's what flesh does. It's, 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 a, it's a natural reaction. It's not good, but it's, it's natural. It's what happens. Well, God knows. And he's put measures in place in his word that the more we receive from God, the more accountable and responsible we are for what we have received. And that, is a very, that should have a very sobering effect on us. It's not a bad effect, it's a good effect. Because didn't he say elsewhere that to whom much is given, much shall be expected. To whom much is given, much shall be expected. And I've paraphrased that a bit, forgive me. But Peter had received a divine revelation. Jesus had to nip that pride in the bud fast and thoroughly. And so that's why Jesus answered him as straightly as he did. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Because what was it that was behind Peter's rebuke in verse 22? Uh, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not happen unto thee. Well, obviously, Peter wasn't concerned about the will of God because Jesus had shared in verse 21 that this was part of the plan. I have to go to Jerusalem. I have to suffer many things of the scribe or the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and I have to be killed and I have to be raised again the third day. Had Peter's heart been rightly oriented towards the will of God, then Peter would have not presumed to rebuke the Lord and say, that's not going to happen to you. We're not going to let it happen. And so that's under the that's under the heading of this practical lesson. When you get to thinking you know better than God, you don't. No one does. No one knows better than God. Not me, not anybody here, not anybody in the world. No one at all. Even the Lord, even the Lord, God, the son of God, brought himself and kept himself in submission to the will of God, the father, because that was in accordance with the plan, the ultimate redemption plan for the human race, the saving of us and, and, and so on. So Jesus rebuked him, and rightly so. Now moving on to the next verse, it begins another lesson. So well, I'm not done with that last lesson. Okay, we'll just take this away. None of us knows better than God. 
So let's just follow God's plan, shall we? Let's follow God's plan. Let's take God's word at face value and apply it to our lives. And as we see things play out in our lives and God working his will in our lives, let's not fall into the same error and get to thinking that we know better than God does because we don't. The smartest person in the world isn't smart enough. The smartest person who ever lived isn't smart enough. Solomon in all of his wisdom did not know better than God. No one does. So let's trust him. Let's trust him in the face of whatever comes our way, in the face of whatever we see playing out in our lives. Well, it doesn't make any sense. I know it doesn't make any sense. Not to us, because we're the ones down here in the trenches. But if we trust the captain of our salvation, the one who has the God's eye view, we'll be all right. We can't go wrong. Verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Now let's stop right there, actually, because the lesson, the core of our text for this lesson is verses 24 through 26. So let's, let's read it again. If any man, this is words of Christ, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And who's, for whosoever, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Well, what's the lesson there? So that doesn't sound like it has anything to do with Peter rebuking or getting rebuked. It doesn't have anything to do with any of that. What's the lesson there? Let God have what he paid for. That's the lesson of verses 24, 25, and 26. Let God have what he paid for. So what do you mean? Well, in our old life, we were sinners. We were alienated from God. We were doomed. Really, in the spiritual sense, we were doomed. And without Christ, and that's the state of every human being, without Christ, this is... This is the basic stuff. That was our condition. That's why we needed a Savior. We had crimes against God. The Bible calls them sins. We had committed crimes against God. We had told lies. We had lusted after people we weren't married to. We had uh, harbored hatred in our heart, which is akin to murder. We had you know, we'd done these various things, taken the Lord's name in vain, uh, uh, uttered filthy communication and all these different things. We'd done all of these things. We had done the things that sinners do because that was our nature that was our identity and let's not try to browbeat anybody with their past but we have to recognize where we came from okay so we had done all these things and we had racked up a tremendous debt to god in crimes committed and so we talk about oh well jesus forgave them all well yes but it's not that he just wrote them off follow along okay because we've this has come up recently in a couple services 
It's not that he just wrote them off like a credit card company writes off somebody's bad debt that, you know, that's years and years old and never gets paid. He didn't just do that. In fact, he didn't do that at all. What Jesus did was paid for them. Do we see the difference? It's not that God just said, ah, we'll just forget it. It's that Jesus, his son, came into the world as he was sharing there in verse 21 as far as what was going to happen, although he didn't share the reasons for it. He was just telling them why, you know, what was going to happen, not necessarily why yet, but at least the what. Jesus had to come and Jesus had to die to pay for those sins. We remember that? Because in the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, it, they, they had an elaborate system that, that God had put into place that when a person sinned, he had to bring an animal to be sacrificed. It's like something had to pay for that sin. Something had to die to atone for that sin that was committed. Well, thus Jesus came to die for all of them once and pay for all of them. That's why the Bible talks about how God's wrath and indignation was heaped upon Christ for our sake. Because if it was heaped upon us, it's hellfire and then the lake of fire after that and for all eternity. And so that's why Christ came in the, in the effort and in the interests of saving us from that. Not by just writing off our sins, but by actually paying the price for them. And if he paid for our sins with his blood, then it is, as he said elsewhere, we are not our own. We are bought with a price. You've read that in the Bible. You know what? We're going to pull that up too. In fact, he says it twice. The Apostle Paul speaks of it in 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, and he speaks of it again in chapter 7. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 where he says, for ye are bought with a price. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23, he says, ye are bought with a price, be ye not therefore the servants of men. Let's actually go back to the first one in chapter 6. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. That's the key part right there. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and ye have which ye have of God, speaking of the Holy Ghost, and ye are not your own, question mark. Ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, meaning which belong to God. You, me, all of us as members of the body of Christ, we belong to God, body, soul, and spirit. He owns us. And that's not a tragedy. That's not a bad thing at all. In fact, there are, there are some serious implications that come with that, and that's perhaps a study for a different day. But what is all this coming up to? Well, verses 24, 25, and 26, mainly 24 and 25 of Matthew here, he says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. That rubs a lot of us modern Westerners and Americans wrong because it's all about us, isn't it? Well, I've been told all my life that I'm special and that I'm this and that, and especially if I'm a millennial. Sorry, I had to go there. Just touch that dance away from it really quick, not trying to offend anybody. But we've been told all these things, and, and while in, from a certain point of view, yes, it's true. But Jesus says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. 
Let him deny himself. Let him deny his own will. Let him be willing even to spread out the most precious of his own earthly dreams upon the altar of sacrifice. And say. I'm yours, Lord, you have bought me with a price. That's hard for some people to take. It's hard for some people to take. It's hard to let go of something that you've really wanted to. But you see, here's something about God's character that's really awesome, right? And I love this. Is that as a wonderful father, many times, as one author said, he never takes away with one hand what he does not give back with the other. Now, that's not always true, but there's some merit to it. But God does not take from us anything that he is not willing to give us something better in return. And there's a picture that comes to mind. It was a meme floating around the internet for a while. It usually pops up on Facebook and uh, other places like that. It has a stylized image of Jesus uh, trying to reason with this little girl. This little girl is holding on to her precious teddy bear. And she's got both arms wrapped around that thing and just doesn't want to let go of it forever. And Jesus is holding out his hand for her to give up that teddy bear. And she's just not doing it. But what she doesn't see is the enormous teddy bear three times that size that Jesus is holding behind his back. Now, it's kind of saccharine and a little bit sentimental and maybe even a little bit of a stretch, but there's a lot of merit to that image because the lesson in it is very clear. If God is saying, if God is impressing upon you to give something up or to let something go, he has something better waiting in the wings to give you. But he's not going to give it until we give up the thing that he's trying to get us to let go of. You see that a lot of times. Oh, do we want to go there? You see that a lot of times in marriages. As a woman who's been raised to be independent in a modern world, a modern post-1965 world, has been raised to be independent, raised to be self-sufficient a lot of times, raised to be all these other things, suddenly finds herself in a role where she has to, she has to let that independence go and become dependent upon her husband. And it's a, it's a real trial of humility in order to do that. It's a real trial of humility in order to do that. And some women never, some wives never bring themselves to that place where they're willing to do that. But when they do, when they do, if they're married to a decent person, a good man, all right, you take, take all of this in its appropriate context. When they do, they find that God rewards that willingness and he rewards that sacrifice. And he brings certain blessings into their life that they otherwise would not have. So what's the lesson there? Again, let God have what he paid for. If any man will come after me, says the Lord, I let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Now, that's the words of our Lord right there. Let that just sink down deep into our hearts. Let that speak to us. Whoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. He's not just talking about if you die for the sake of the gospel or if you, you know, die and be as a martyr or something like that. He's, it goes deeper than that. It includes that, but it goes deeper than that. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whoever holds on to that teddy bear and just won't let it go is going to end up losing it anyway. It really will. 
something else will end up taking it away. Something else will end up something else will end up taking that dream away. And even if it doesn't, well, the grave takes away all things, doesn't it? Man, that's something the ancient Egyptians just never got. They never got the clue on. That's why they always buried their pharaohs and and their their high officials and all that. They buried them with, you know, they killed all their horses and buried the horses with them, and you know, and then put a bunch of food in the grave too, and a bunch of gold. Like the, like that's gonna do anything for anyone in the next life. Because guess what? Five thousand years later, they digging up them tombs, and guess what? Those horses are still there, and the food all rotted away, and all the gold got taken away by plunderers, and so. You can't take anything past the grave. So if that dearest hope or whatever that precious thing that you're holding on to so tight like that little girl with the teddy bear and you're just not letting it go, the grave is going to take it. Even if circumstances don't, the grave is going to take it. But if we let it go as willing disciples, God's got something better right behind His back. God's got something better. He's waiting for you to be ready to receive. So the lesson there, let God have what He paid for. And another way that that's phrased is stop trying to save your life and lose it. I heard that in Tulsa, Oklahoma way back in 2005. It wasn't even one of our churches. It was a different one I was visiting because I was traveling. We didn't have a church in that town. I went there. It was a guest speaker. It wasn't even the pastor. But he said that. And it hit me right between the eyes. And I've never forgotten that. It's been like, it's been like 14 years since then. Stop trying to save your life, believer. Just lose it. Lose it into the hands of God and watch Him do wonders with it like you never imagined. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving.